Alright guys, welcome back to No Offense Podcast. Hello No Offense Podcast listeners. Welcome to the first official episode of the True Crime series for No Offense. So before we get into the episode today guys, I want to tell you, make sure to follow the podcast Instagram at nooffpod underscore cm. You can see all the highlights and any new announcements on the Instagram page all the time. I post after every episode after recording and posting and also, guys, if you could contribute anything you'd want to the podcast per month, even if it's a dollar, whatever it is, I'd appreciate it. The listener support, it's in our, my bio on um, Spotify, Apple Podcast, and I will put it on the Instagram. And only if you want to, of course, and anything I get will help. I want to keep growing this and let it keep growing for you guys and just bring more people on, be able to do more things. But like I said, it'll be in the episode description. It'll be in the bio, everything. But also, guys, just thank you so much for the support. If you guys haven't seen already, we have officially hit over 500 listeners on the No Offense podcast. So thank you guys so much. Please keep listening. Please keep following. Spread the word. And yeah, let's get into the episode for today. Viewer discretion is advised for this episode. Alright guys, let's get into the episode. So, for the first True Crime Series episode, we will be talking about one of the most notorious serial killers known as the Killer Clown, John Wayne Gacy. Now before I start, I just want to say that I will post the references that I have gotten all of my information from, because I am taking this from sources just to be accurate and exact and to not misconstrue or miscommunicate any type of information. And with his victims, I will also post the victims on the Instagram, just the pictures, not the names, but just out of respect and in remembrance of them as well. So, John Wayne Gacy was born in Chicago, Illinois on March 17th, 1942, and died in 1944. I'm sorry, yes, I thought I got that wrong, my bad. But... As we all know, which we will get into early, later in the podcast episode, is that he was executed. But among his lifetime, he had killed 33 boys and young men in his entire lifetime. And almost all of his victims' bodies were found within the crawl spaces under his home in Chicago and even within the property's walls. What was notable about John Wayne Gacy was that, like many other infamous serial killers, like Ted Bundy, Jeffrey Dahmer... He was a very charming and respectable man among his community. This is why when the news of his killings became public and all the assault allegations before his first killing came to the public as well, it sent an entire shock throughout the community. Gacy grew up in a very blue-collar family and seemed to have an ordinary childhood, but what was later found out was that Gacy's father, John Stanley Gacy, was physically and verbally abusive to John specifically him, out of the entire family. Now, as we get into the trial, Richard Rappaport, who was a forensic psychologist who worked on the trial for John Wayne Gacy, he stated that John's father contributed significantly to his crimes that he would commit later in his life. Gacy experienced verbal abuse from his father most of the time, and Gacy's father often used derogatory queer terms when verbally abusing him, things such as sissy, 
queer, and often was noting that John was gay because his father believed he did not display any type of masculine behavior, essentially. Often, he berated him over his sexuality in front of family and friends, and most notably, John was molested by a family friend in 1949, but never actually said anything to his family about what happened. So he kind of just let it slip under the radar, and no one really ever knew about it, and obviously because he just thought that his father probably wouldn't believe him. John always grew up wanting validation from his father and never having to say a negative thing about him, surprisingly. But instead, his father was a strong and intelligent man, and they never were close, but he always wanted to impress his father somehow. And when John Wayne Gacy was being interviewed a lot, he would also talk highly of his father, which obviously when you get to know about who his father was and what he did, doesn't seem like the things you would say to your father if he did what he did. So with John Wayne Gacy's father being an abusive drunk, John could really never accomplish getting his validation. Therefore, it was stated also that with this traumatic childhood of Gacy's, it was a leading factor in his murders, and considering how Gacy disposed of his victims, it also represented how Gacy felt after his father abused him. Essentially meaning that after he was abused, verbally abused, insulted, he felt buried and just lifeless after his father verbally or physically attacked him. And even though this is no excuse for John Wayne Gacy's crimes, it was made note of in response to the main reason behind his killings. Gacy also never really fit in at school and socially as a young kid, and did not have the most accessible life as well. He had a heart condition, and that would alter many abilities in his everyday life. So even though his father also never cared about him, he also instead thought that with this heart condition, Gacy actually was faking it just to get out of doing physical activity. And therefore, Gacy grew up unable to do many things because of this condition. Gacy, at a young age, moved out to get away from his father, and as stated before, even though he never showed that much resentment towards his father, John never openly came out as gay, and for most of his life never got to explore his sexuality in fear of it, especially due to his father. This is why, within his crimes, his killings, he openly, as his father did, berate his victims with derogatory queer terms before assaulting and killing them. Gacy also had a great relationship with his mother and often helped her within the garden, doing chores and all this, all the other things. So as Gacy's father noticed this, he saw Gacy as a mama's boy and saw him as losing control of the household. Therefore, again, Gacy's view of Gacy's father's view, I apologize, of him not showing any masculine qualities. So this actually made him even more violent towards John when verbally or physically attacking him. It made it insufferable for Gacy, and it never gave Gacy the freedom to explore himself, therefore being the reason for the way Gacy brutally murdered his victims and why he found the sexuality and sexual pleasure that he had been longing for within his crimes. guys before we get back and continue on with this episode i want to tell you guys about a special offer from zaffle spring and summer guys it will be here before you know it 
and it's the best time to start shopping, especially cheap, for those fantastic spring and summer clothes. Zaffle is a great website to shop cheap for the best spring and summer outfits. If you use the code VNPK while checking out, you can receive 17% off off your entire order when checking out. And even though, guys, it may not sound like a lot, it is very cheap Zaffle, and it's great and efficient clothing. I use it all the time. And let me tell you guys, we all know I'm very broke, but Zaffle makes it very cheap and easy for me to budget my money to get spring and summer clothes. So even if you've never heard of it, go check it out. Use the code VNPK for 17% off off your order. And I will also put the link for the code within the episode description. So just make sure to go on, get your clothes, get everything ready for spring and summer. And let's get back into the episode, guys. So now that we have had a little backstory of Gacy, his family, his childhood, we're going to get into Gacy himself. So guys, we all know the stigma around clowns. And as we know about John Wayne Gacy, he was known as the killer clown murderer. So there's a very odd creepiness around clowns, as we all know. And with killer clowns, dressing ups, and scaring the absolute crap out of people and even going to the extent of actually injuring and even killing people. We know that whole trend, it was happening, and it got so bad as we know how it happened, and many people acted out of defense and took defense when approached with these people who dressed up like these killer clowns. And people were just using this excuse of explaining it was a trend, and it was just things people were doing. But obviously, it was very dangerous, not safe at all, so obviously... The stigma behind clowns has become a very negative connotation. So, therefore, clowns are overall creepy, as we know, and Gacy used this towards his sexual fulfillment and acts in his murders. Gacy was actually known as Pogo the Clown, performing at children's parties and even being a part of a societal clown performance group as well. Unfortunately, this sociable clown that everyone knew and loved would soon be convicted, apologies again, of horrible murders, turning that big red painted frown upside down for many people in the community. Gacy, in the 1960s, had actually become a manager for KFC and also worked as a contractor in Chicago. He worked his way up to many respectable positions in his places of work, and again, like in many famous serial killers, he made himself have a great reputation among his peers and made himself seem like a very normal man within the community. Gacy had admitted to wanting to commit what was known as lust murder, and that they kind of found out later within his murders, obviously when analyzing and seeing how he did kill his victims, but basically this means that there's an intent of sexual pleasure within killing his victims. In 1964, he was on his way to becoming the model American man, getting married to his wife Marilyn Myers, having a well-respected job, and having a family to come home to, fitting into society in order to hide his sinister acts. Gacy had joined the JC, or moreover known as the Junior Chamber of Converse Organization. Lauded for his passion and dedication to the organization, Gacy actually had his first gay experience within this organization with a co-worker. Getting drunk, going out, having fun, Gacy was convinced by this co-worker to perform oral sex on, his, on him, and from there sparked his wanting to have power and fulfillment of his sexual desires and these being fulfilled only and mainly through his killings. After this incident, 
he moved from Illinois to Iowa, as his father owned three of the KFC chain restaurants, which is where he found his management position. And I should have said it before, but he moved to Waterloo, Iowa. That's where he resided after the whole incident happened. But after his son was born in 1966, and a year later his daughter was born, he stated that he treated his children to the best of his abilities, and he would never act like his father did to him. And what was made notable by Gacy was that he did not believe in hitting children. Gacy's father actually gave him some validation in even saying within this moment where he was in Iowa that he was doing well for himself and admitting actually how wrong he was of what he did to him. So, from 1966 to 1967, it was stated by Gacy himself that these were the happiest, this was the happiest year of his life. And eventually, Gacy became involved in the JSG chapter in Waterloo, rising in the ranks once again to become a very prominent member among the group. This group, although, was very promiscuous underground and behind the scenes, and had thrown prostitution parties in hotels, and most of them were hosted by Gacy. As these parties were very wild and popular, Gacy was known to have obtained 20 new members in this group in just one night, and many of these members had been swingers, swapping wives or husbands, and having a very filled and fun night. Gacy began to work behind his family's back, keeping many secrets, and he soon came to find out that he was actually pretty good at living two lives. At his position at KFC, he was noted to want it to be known as Colonel among all the employees, wanting to make himself be known as the boss, having power, building this double life in Waterloo, Iowa. In 1968, after his conviction for sexually assaulting a teenage boy, 15-year-old Donald Voorhees, luring him into his basement, after getting him drunk, showing him pornographic material, he blackmailed the boy to perform oral sex. In 1968, Donald opened up about this, and the father of Donald pressed charges, but, of course, Gacy denied them. He even took a polygraph test by his own will, and failed that, stated that Donald's father was out to get him for political reasons, and Gacy even went to the lengths of hiring someone to intimidate and assault Donald before the trial, which Gacy then was caught for that and arrested for. He was confined in the Iowa State Men's Reformatory, or more known as Anamosa State Penitentiary, and was forced to undergo a psychological evaluation for 17 days. Two doctors concluded that Gacy had antisocial personality disorder, and often criminals are diagnosed with this and evaluated as not being able to know right from wrong. The criminals are often diagnosed with this, as Gacy was, with one to get what he wants at any cost, as many other violent serial killers exhibited these same qualities. After his release in 1970, and while still on parole, he was again arrested for sexual assault, but the charges were later dropped. He often repeated these acts and lured a lot of young boys he hired from KFC and used the same tactics. Embarrassed of the life he was living behind the curtains, he still stated that he was not actually fulfilled from these immoral actions, and Gacy was known to insult gay teenagers and categorize them in his interview with the FBI later on as worthless little queers and punks. As a result of this, his father's abuse and his own confusion with his sexuality, working hard at dissociating himself from his sexuality, and just not really wanting to accept the fact, I guess, of who he was. While confined, Gacy's father had passed away, and even after his father's death, Gacy felt like a disappointment to him. Rising up in the social ranks in the penitentiary 
and even after two parole hearings, Gacy had been released in 18 months of a 10-year sentence. So, as a few years pass by, Gacy's out, living his life as he wants to. On January 3rd of 1972 would be his first victim. So after returning to the bus station, Gacy picks up his first known murder victim, who would later be identified as Timothy McCoy. After bringing the teenager home, they drank, engaged in sexual acts, and Gacy stabs him to death and buries him in the crawl space. On July 1st, 1972, Gacy then marries his second wife, Carol Hoff, who was a childhood friend. She notices this strange smell coming from the crawl space, but Gacy blames it on the runoff from a sewer pipe and attempts to stifle the smell by spreading concrete and lime within the area. So a few years go by. On July 31st, 1975, John Butkovich, one of the many young men and teenagers hired for PDM contractors, disappears after a heated confrontation with Gacy over unpaid wages. His car was found near his parents' home the following day, with the key still in the ignition. Butkovich is later identified as Gacy's third murder victim. As the complaints begin to pile up, police camp out at, eight, at 8213 West Somerdale Avenue after a nine-year-old boy prostitute is reported missing. Attempting to question the young men coming and going from the house, they failed to uncover any actual relevant evidence about Gacy. Already living alone, Gacy has a separation from Carol, formalized with their divorce. During this time, he begins appearing more frequently around town as his alter ego, Pogo the Clown, and also picks up the pace on his murderous spree, claiming another two dozen victims from April 1976 through the end of 1977. And guys, when I read that, I couldn't even imagine what is going through someone's head to commit 24 murders in just a year. To me, that is just insane. So on March 2nd, 1976, after luring Jeff Rignall into his car with an offer to smoke marijuana, Gacy subdues the 26-year-old with a chloroform-soaked rag, torturing and raping him at his home, and then dumping him out in a park. Rignall, who accepts $3,000 to settle the legal charges, recounts the experience in his book 29 Below. March 21st, 1978, when a 15-year-old Robert Peast goes missing after telling his mom he intends to see someone about a high-paying job. The police follow the trail of the witnesses to Gacy's home. And as we guys know, as we know guys, with the context, it was definitely Gacy probably hiring him for some job at his house or um or for KFC, but I will get into one thing later in the episode but to continue unlike many of the other runaways and dropouts who wound up in gacy's clutches in the middle of the night peace is a popular high school student with strong ties in the community gacy's lawyer later theorizes that his client began getting more careless about his killings with the hope of getting caught so on december 13 1978 after initially stalling gacy submits to questioning at the des plains police station and hands over the keys to his home. When investigators find a receipt linked to Peast, Gacy is put on around-the-clock surveillance. And honestly, I don't know... I mean, I guess during those times, they were things were kind of different with law enforcement, but I 
would definitely assume that these days I'm pretty sure we would just lock him up for that or, you know, just definitely question him right away. But to continue, on December 20th, 1978, after a week of being followed and inebriated, Gacy admits to his new lawyer, Sam Amarant, that he had tortured, raped, and killed at least 30 young men. An investigating officer later recalled the horrified lawyer's instructions to him, saying, Don't let Gacy leave. On December 21st, 1978, Gacy is apprehended when seen handing a bag of marijuana to a gas station clerk, prompting another home search that reveals the first discovery of human remains. The following days, the suspect delivers a rambling statement to the police, so Gacy in which he confesses to killing more than 30 young men and boys, with most of them buried in his crawlspace and the rest thrown into the Des Plaines River. Though Gacy later attempts to retract his confession, over the next several weeks, investigators would unearth the remains of 29 bodies on Gacy's property and another four in the rivers southeast of Chicago, therefore equaling 33 victims altogether. Therefore, later on, Gacy was sentenced to death on March 13, 1980. On death row at Menard Correctional Center, he spent much of his time painting. He was executed by lethal injection at Stateville Correctional Center on May 10, 1994. That was also the same day serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer was baptized in the Wisconsin prison where he was serving 15 consecutive life sentences. While strapped to the gurney, that would ultimately be the last thing he felt before dying. And Gacy, of course, as anyone was asked, any last words? And his last words were, kiss my ass. John Wayne Gacy was then pronounced dead at 12.58 a.m. And now, guys, I just want to say, I know that was kind of a short episode. I actually didn't expect it to be because... I did this research for so long, and I'm like, oh my god, it was kind of short, but this was only the first episode, and I kind of wanted to keep it brief with this one, especially because we know a lot about John Wayne Gacy and who he was, Um, but as always, if you guys have any stories that you want to give me, DM me, put on this episode, I can leave a little place for you guys to submit any stories or anyone you'd want to hear about, but... Yeah, that is the story of John Wayne Gacy, and yeah, I don't know if you guys remember, or if you have watched it, the Jeffrey Dahmer series, you see at the end of the series where you see a representation of one of his victims, which was he dressed as Pogo the Clown, and unfortunately waterboarded one of the victims, and then killed them, and later you see him in his execution with the people viewing, and then you also see Jeffrey Dahmer being baptized, and... But that's also kind of where that came from. They were kind of in the same sort of time span, which was kind of crazy to me. But that is all of it. And like I said, I will post pictures of the victims on the Instagram. I don't want to say their names, just kind of out of respect. But there is public pictures, so I'll post that for you guys on the Instagram. And just in remembrance of them and the awful things that happened and what Casey did. But... Yeah, like I said, doesn't seem like a lot, but that actually was everything that I found from a lot of sources and even from a podcast episode. So if you guys want to hear more about him, let me know. But 
I hope you guys enjoyed the first episode of the true crime series. And like I said, these probably won't be too long depending on what case it is, but I just wanted to start this to see how you guys like it because I love true crime. I definitely want to get into it with this podcast and figure just be a nice, not nice. I should not say that. Oh my God. But it's just an alter, you know, it's all an alternative for you guys to see if you like it. But I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. I will post my sources in the description. All this information was not my own. I did not know any of this offhand. And I will post all credits in the description. But I hope you guys enjoyed the episode today. And please stay tuned for more episodes. And the new schedule will be Mondays will be true crime series episodes. So season two. And then we will still be on season one, just regular episodes. And I'll be posting those every Saturday. So stay tuned, follow, like, whatever you can do, show your support. I love you all and hope you enjoyed the episode today.